This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+. plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, the season is well and truly underway and we are well and truly underwhelmed. Albion kicking off the season with a 2-1 defeat away to Blackburn. Something of a, a level of deja vu about it, really, from last year's visit to Ewood Park, going two goals down with pretty much the only two shots that that that, uh, that Blackburn have on target, uh, then pulling one back and then just not being able to find a way back into the game it was a very it was a very similar pattern Pete and but the um the talking points started even before the game had kicked off um and they started really around 2 p.m when the team sheet was released and a lot of people were including myself were pretty surprised at the team selected now we had said on the last pod that when we talked about the center halves that it was a concern that Kipre and Ajay seemed to be one of his most used centre-half partnerships and that that might be the partnership he'd go with. We both said it was undoubtedly not the partnership we would look to go with. That was the partnership he went with and, well, he was proved wrong. He he got it wrong. There's no other way of putting it. Carlos Corbran made a mistake um, that, that he should not have played those two players at centre-back because... Um, they it didn't go well, particularly for Kipre, and we'll come on to that in a little bit more depth. And then he left out John Swift and played uh, Nathaniel Chalaber in the centre midfield. Uh, played Malumbi a bit further forward, Chalaber and uh, and Yukoslu as the as the more defensive ones. 
And to a certain degree, Pete, I would suggest he was vindicated on that one because Chalobah, for me, had a had a decent game. And again, we'll do this in a little bit more depth in a moment. But I understand the the, the tactical approach to the centre mids, and we'll talk about that a bit more. But let's just focus on the centre backs for a moment. And look, I said it on the last pod. I don't understand any justification for Cedric Kipre starting for West Bromwich Albion at the moment. He's had an appalling preseason. When I saw him at, uh, at Burton, he was nothing but a walking liability. And shock horror, we give him a start and they and he absolutely gives them a goal on a plate. And look, Connor Townsend has given them the other goal. I'm not going to deny that. But if I go through what else Connor Townsend did in the game, I can find positives and I'll do that in a little bit. And I know some people say, because I know there's a bit of a rhetoric going on, a bit of a narrative that, um, oh, Chris really likes Connor Townsend. He always defends him. No, he made a horrible mistake, but I do think he contributes plenty to the side. We've both done the data. I can understand Corbrand's justification for picking Kipre, I can't justify it. And I can't justify it based on the statistics and the data that I picked from the game, um, which show me that he contributed very little that was positive. And I can't justify it from the eye test because he had a horrible game and he gave them a goal with one of the most stupid passes I have ever seen. I don't even know who he was trying to pass it to. It was utterly, utterly moronic what he did. It's unacceptable. It's just smacks of a total and utter lack of focus and concentration. And I don't want a player who doesn't seem to actually care enough about his game to focus for 90 minutes and think about where he's putting the ball. And and he cost us the game. He cost us the game because at 1-0, you can get back into it. But two goals inside 60 seconds and the game was over. It was a mountain to climb, wasn't it? Yeah, those two goals, I mean, really killed us off. I don't think we started particularly well. Came out in the second half a lot better than we, we did for the first half in those first 20 minutes or so. I thought it was really positive and I think something had clearly been said at halftime. But um, yeah, I think the only reason that I can maybe think of for starting Kipro was just because strong in his, his one-on-one duels and we're looking to to play a lot of the game, just kind of players one-on-one against each other and just trying to win those individual battles. Um, like if we were pushing forward, we'd just leave the centre-backs to with a, an attacking player each for the counter-attack and we needed those defenders to win those win those duels and he's generally quite strong in it. Um, but with the ball at his feet, he yeah quite often looked a bit of a liability um, and obviously gave away that goal. But even for the first goal, it was... I mean, Townsend definitely didn't do well and, and did give the ball up. He should have used his body better, but it was it was a poor poor pass from Kipre to put him in that situation. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, because he's looped it in the air, hasn't he? And uh, and Townsend's he's kind of got a choice, really. He either he either kind of hooks it over his head or out of play, tries to head it back to Kipre, which would be incredibly dangerous, or he does what he does, which is try and bring it down and. As you say, his first touch has got to be good and he's got to be stronger, but it's not a situation he needs to be put into, is it? No, exactly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Townsend didn't wasn't at, at fault, but he wasn't put in a good situation either. So, it's yeah, obviously he can put, share the blame out a bit. But, yeah, it's just, I mean, the, even for a lot of the game, we just 
looking to to go along a lot of the time, kind of in a not just in a, a Tony Pulis kind of way, but a bit more organised and trying to open up spaces, especially when like, we're kind of pulling pulling a lot of their players into our half um, and leaving Brandon kind of isolated with the, their centre back and then going into channels from him with some some really big kicks from Alex Palmer, which was quite quite impressive. And then trying to work from there, and I mean it worked in a way, but I think it did also highlight maybe the the fact that we're missing and well we've lost our our best probably centre back on the ball. Yeah, because I mean just going a little bit deeper into the into the data, Pete, and I mean unsurprisingly, Kipre was the first player that that, that I that I looked at when we were researching this pod because he's the biggest t- talking point I mean it's interesting that he had more touches in in the middle third than in the defensive third which does show that he does get us out of defense he does get us up the up the field but as you pointed out to me off air his his progressive passing is nothing to to write home about and then then comes the really really worrying part I mean the other positive with Kipre right is that he doesn't he doesn't generally try long passes he does try to actually play through the thirds and he does try to get us out that way i felt in the last 20 minutes after kipre had gone off ajay just aimlessly lumped the ball forward ajay played more long passes than any other player he tried 11 during the game and his success rate with them was not good they were they were appalling so there was there was actually a negative impact to Kipre coming off, and I'm not going to pretend that there wasn't. But the fact of the matter is that Kipre cost us a goal, and Kipre, every time I see him play, looks like he's going to cost us a goal because the guy can't concentrate for 90 minutes. And the other factor with him is, whilst his mid-range passing is actually is actually decent, which is um, I think passes. Uh, uh, 15 to 30 yards I think I'm right in saying Pete his short passing which is uh, uh, passes that are 5 to 15 yards is appalling 66.7% pass completion rate for short passes 5 to 15 yards was the worst in our entire team now I acknowledge the fact that Blackburn pushed up on us and tried to target him and put pressure on him but nonetheless you're a centre-back You've got plenty of options. You've got a guy. Uh, you've got we well, got two guys either side of it uh, to your right because you've got Ajay and you've got Furlong. You've got Townsend to your left. You've normally got an out ball into midfield, which is Chalabra or Yukoslu, or you can even go back to your goalkeeper. You should not be misplacing a third of your five to fifteen yard passes. It's not acceptable. No, and he um. Well, Kipre, I mean, obviously he was taken off, but he attempted 26 passes and Ajay attempted 41. So obviously Ajay is more involved in the passing there. Um, and Ajay had a better success rate as well, 75% to 69%. And on top of that, Ajay made six progressive passes. Um, a lot of them were long balls or switches, but um, Kipre made zero from my data. So you can definitely see which which of the two centre-backs is, is more relied upon for the kind of play on the ball. Most of Kipre's passes were just kind of square to Ajay, I think. And um, I don't think he was asked too much, asked to do too much. Um, and that probably says says something about Corbran and the coaches kind of expect him to be able to do. Yeah, seven out of his uh, seven out of his about twenty passes were to semi Ajay, and five were to kind of Townsend. So 
So he shouldn't he shouldn't be getting that bad a completion rate, should he? Then if it, because he's not he's not actually trying to play. I mean, like he did for the goal, difficult dri- driven balls into midfield. Although, as I say, I'm still to this. Uh, I've watched that goal, I think, five times now, including live, and I still don't know who he's trying to pass to. But he shouldn't be getting those balls wrong, should he? No, but that was that was just a stupid pass to try and make, especially from a kickoff. Yeah, when you just conceded a goal and you you've put. A sloppy pass into even what even if even if it was a good pass, it would have been a dangerous pass with a I think it was two Chalibur. Um yeah. but with a man pressing him and nipping in front of him, so it was a, a sloppy pass and a poor decision well, to make the pass not, anyway. It's not it, it doesn't it, you don't have to have played the game to any level to know that at a kickoff, what the opposition attacking players do is they run towards you into your half. So they're going to have the momentum on any player who is stood in his position. He is not going to be, he's not going to be moving. So it's, it. how, how can a professional footballer not know that that's not a good ball to play? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, especially when we just conceded, the last thing you want to do is put yourself under, under more pressure and just, because Blackburn are going to have the momentum. Players are going to be, have that little bit more energy after scoring the goal and the crowds with them. And, you're probably going to have a bit more pressure for you on for the next five minutes. The last thing you want to do is, is heap that pressure on yourself as well by trying silly passes and, and giving the ball away cheaply in dangerous areas. So let's talk about the centre-half situation, Pete. What needs to happen? I mean, there's not a doubt in my mind Kipre has to come out. I, I, uh, I, think it was, I think it was a misguided experiment. It's clearly one that he's pushed with over pre-season because he's played him a lot. I think uh, I think I think I'm right uh, right in saying Kipre and Ajayi the two centre halves who've played the most minutes in games where senior players were involved, you know. I mean there might be I think Taylor actually has played quite a lot of quite a lot of minutes um in games where younger players have been involved, but in the ones where our senior players have been involved, I think I'm right in saying they've played the most minutes. And so he's obviously he's obviously decided from quite early on that that's the partnership he wants to go with, but it's cost us a football match. Now I'm not. Whilst I don't think Ajayi had a brilliant game by any stretch of the imagination, I think there's enough to persevere that with there with uh, with Semi Ajayi because I, the problem is for, at the moment you've probably got to play one of them because Bartley just can't. I mean he's he's a good defender. But he can't pass. He's he's just got no ball playing ability whatsoever. And to ask Caleb Taylor to be the cool, calm head on the ball is a lot. And Eric Peters is something of a problem for us as well because uh, Corbran doesn't seem to like him at, at centre half. He hasn't had a lot of minutes in pre season either. So God only knows where his fitness is at. And also at the end of last season when Dara wasn't alongside him he did struggle i mean he, he, you know as much as griffiths made uh, made that horrible mistake against qpr the ball from peters wasn't good and it was indicative of what we were seeing from from eric peters at uh, at that time for me and i'm well aware of the financial situation of the club i i think it's a position we've got to address in the market I, if it was me pete what i would be tempted to do is Cardiff would almost certainly take Kipre back off us on loan. They haven't filled their centre half position, and 
in January, there's a possibility that they might be able to buy him. If you could loan him with an obligation to buy when their transfer embargo is uh, is lifted, that would be the ideal situation for me. And I think, and I think it's an area you've got to address in the window. I just, I honestly don't think we have the personnel in the club at this moment in time at centre half to have a successful season because it's. It's such it's such a vital position in the team. You, you always talk about that spine of your team, but it, even if you kind of like, if you want to go through that spine and say what is the most important piece uh, pieces within that spine, you sent halves and you sent forwards. And at the moment, and we'll come on to Brandon a little bit more in in detail later on. But at the moment, we're weak in both of those areas, and we're just we're not going to have a successful season while that's the case. No, and I, I mean I'd be doing a lot of work with Caleb Taylor at the minute to try and get him to a level where he's, he's able to be relied upon to be the starting centre-back because, like I say, Kipre wasn't didn't seem to be asked to do too much with the ball at his feet. Um, the kind of stuff that he was doing, you, you'd expect just any centre-back to be able to, to play those passes square to his, his um, centre-back partner. Um, so it's, it's not like Taylor would have to come in and be this incredible ball-playing centre-back I think he needs to be solid. He needs to be strong in his jewels and be aggressive, as well as cover space in behind, which is probably difficult for a young and fairly inexperienced centre back. He just, I think he's obviously going to develop a lot from what you hear. He had an excellent, excellent season at Cheltenham, so I mean, I think the chance is definitely going to come from at some point, um, whether that be in the next game after Kipre's performance. But I don't think he was even on the bench. Um, well, this is what I don't understand, Pete, because uh, other clubs seem to be prepared to give these players an opportunity. I mean, Harry Leonard's played up front against us and uh, and scored. Granted, he's missed two sitters, but but he's he, he scored what has turned out to be the winning goal last season. They they started um, uh, Big Dylan Phillips, who uh, who I hear is now going to Tottenham for quite a lot of money. You know. Other other teams put these players in and give them an opportunity. We haven't got anything better than Caleb Taylor at the moment. Why why wouldn't he be involved? Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you think now would be kind of the perfect opportunity for him to to push to get into the starting eleven and, and see how he can do. Because um, well, for a start, it's it's right at the start of the season. If things go don't go well for him, and maybe he costs us a few points, then then it's not. It's probably not as important as towards the end of the season. Um, it's better to know now whether he can he can cope and give him that chance to develop. And obviously, Kipre cost us points anyway, so it's it's not like there's it's not like he's got not like Taylor's got to come in and be absolutely perfect. Um, but I would have thought now would be be the good time to test him out, see if he can cope. And if he can, then well, then it kind of solves our issue. And if he has a good season in the championship, then it, it has a lot of value to his price tag. Um, so it's. I mean, I think it's beneficial for for Albion in in almost everywhere. So to my point before, Pete, would is it an area you'd be looking at in the window, or would you be would you rather see what Taylor can do first, or would you potentially look to see if you can move Kipre on first, and then and then maybe look at it in the window? What 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 would you what what would you do in terms of the overall squad at this moment in time regarding the centre halves? Well, I think if we we're going to bring somebody in, we'd have to to let somebody go first, um, not just for financial reasons, but for just kind of squad depth and playing time. We've got got obviously Ajayi, um, currently Kipre, Taylor, Bartley, even Eric Peters played last season at centre back. So we've already got 
What just I've on got... him? Why? Why did we re-sign him if we've got no interest in playing him? It's, uh, yeah, I mean it's a strange one. I don't. Maybe he's he's obviously a very experienced player. Maybe Corbran wanted him around the dressing room, even if he wasn't going to be a starting player. Um, just Sounds that... like a luxury we don't have, though, given our financial situation. Well, I suppose it depends on how much money he's on as well. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's just a lack of fitness at the minute. Maybe the plan is to play Peters at left centre back again when he's when he's fit. But I don't know. Maybe there's something that's gone on behind the scenes for whatever reason. He's not not been able to play in many of the preseason games and is therefore lacking fitness. Um, yeah, it's difficult to to speculate on just yet. I mean. Maybe we'll see him in the next few games. I don't know. But it would be a strange one if, if he's not got any plans to play him at all. Yeah, it wouldn't make too much sense as to why we've re-signed him. We've talked about the Kipre selection, Pete. The other big surprise for most fans was the selection of Chalaba over over John Swift. Now, I've I've put it out there and, and, and I feel this is backed in the data that whilst I don't think Chalaba had a spectacular game by any stretch of the imagination, I think he actually had a decent game in there. I thought um his passing his passing numbers were, were decent. I thought he was neat and tidy on on the ball. He did take some risks, which I'm not, not necessarily a fan of, and he I mean he was he was dispossessed um Quite uh, quite a lot, um, both he and Malumbi. But clearly, that's something. The fact that Malumbi was dispossessed as much as he was, that that Corbran was asking them to do. So it's hard to blame a player for carrying out the the manager's instructions. Although I do think there are times when when Chalaba, being the big, strong, powerful, tall player that he is, needs to be needs to be far more stronger on the ball and use his body much much better than he does. But I think that um, I, I, I don't think he necessarily had a bad game. I mean, Mike, I just want to make a quick point on Chalaba that because uh, you know I was on Twitter or X as it's now known on on the drive home, which was an incredibly long drive home due to a car fire on the on the M6. It took us well over four hours to get back, um, and I, I was just seeing an awful lot of abuse and negativity towards. Nathaniel Chalaber. Now we've not been overly positive about Chalaber on this podcast. We openly said in the summer that he's a player that we think should move on. If the Maccabi Tel Aviv deal had happened, we would have been happy about it. But we're also honest enough to shift our opinions depending on what happens in the game. And whilst I am not largely speaking a fan of Nathaniel Chalaber, and I don't think he's been good enough for the Albion up to this point. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that on Saturday he was poor when he wasn't. If I went through that 11 of Albion players, there, there's there's quite a few that I'd have criticisms of, and I'm going to because I've got, I've got two sides of notepad paper here that, that, that say that I'm going to have a few things to say about a couple of players. A Chalaber wouldn't be on that list of players that I'd want to criticise. thought he was... Uh, yeah, his his performance wasn't perfect. It, there wasn't a single Albion player out there who whose performance wasn't per, uh, whose performance was perfect who didn't have faults. If I was quantifying the amount of faults in his game, I would I would say that he was probably in the top third of players who had the least. So. I don't really understand the criticism. It seems like people have made that some some people, not not all, because I saw there was plenty of people sticking up for him. I think there's some people who 
have made their mind up about Chalaba and refuse to accept that he can ever have an okay game. And I'm sorry, but that's just, that's not uh, an, a complete, you know, I, I'm, it's not an immovable position for me. I'm not a fan of the broader picture is I'm not a fan and I won't be upset if he moves on because I don't think we ever see enough consistency out of the guy. And I don't think we ever will purely on Saturday. He was fine. He wasn't perfect. He had things that I'd like to see him improve, but then who didn't, he was not, he did not have a bad game. That being said, Pete, the bigger picture on that selection, do you understand it? And did it work for you? Um, Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think a lot of it was to do with wanting to have Malumbi a bit higher and Malumbi showing his energy and making runs in behind, stretching the defence and being aggressive and trying to win the ball back high, which meant that we needed somebody else to play one of the, the deeper midfield roles. And I think we probably expected Blackburn to put a lot of pressure on us and, and maybe not want to play out too much. Um, so probably... Kind of I, meant that... I, I get that, Pete. Sorry, just to jump in there. But when I was in the stands, a lot of the talk was not necessarily the fact that Swift had been left out, but it was Chalibur as opposed to Mowat. Yeah, and that's probably, I mean, the fact that we knew that Blackburn were going to try and press us high. Maybe we didn't want Mowat in there but because he might. He obviously likes to play, have the ball at his feet and, and play football. And maybe that was too much of a risk to, to have him there to, to play short passes if we knew that. Blackburn were going to come on to us. I mean, the other thing is that we were going going man-to-man um, a lot of the time. And when Blackburn were breaking, we needed to get back quickly if the two centre-mids had pushed on high. Um, I mean, Chalibur's not particularly quick, and nor is he Kuzlu, but I'd probably say that Moe is slower. So that speed to get back is was probably one of the factors. Um, and he obviously wanted Chalibur to, to play more on the right side than... He was he was doing similar things to what Mullumby was doing last season, where he'd drift out to the right hand side a lot and, and support the the winger or the uh, the fullback. And I think most of his passes were completed kind of on the right right hand side touchline. Um, so the difficulty with having Moat doing that is that he's extremely left footed um, and extremely one footed. So he probably wouldn't have been comfortable having been able to you know create the the right angles to make those passes with his left foot. So I think. I think there's a lot of reasons for Chalaber over Moat in that situation. I don't expect it to be the same in every single game this season, but um, it's probably just the factors of the game of what we expected of Blackburn pointed us to, to Chalaber rather than Moat. And if Corbran wanted Mullenby high up for his energy and, and ability to stretch the defence and probably get forward and support Brandon better than John Swift could, then obviously we'd have to bring in another deeper midfielder. On John Swift, did he look at it? to you when he came on he looked he looked off the pace to me he didn't look he he didn't look like a player who was ready for the cut and thrust of of a championship season now maybe maybe that's being unfair because he's obviously come into the last 20 minutes of uh, of a game against probably one of the most energetic sides in the championship and you know maybe it just caught him a little bit caught him out a little bit it but Look, anybody who listens to this pod regularly knows that y- you and I are massive, massive fans of John Swift. We, we, uh, you know, I think both of us think he was Albion's most important player last season, and I think he's integral to everything we do going forward. I thought he was miles off it when he came on against Blackburn. What do you think? Yeah, he just didn't look sharp. Really, didn't look quick enough in his decision making. Um, quick enough 
kind of getting to his man when we were trying to press. And yeah, I mean, there was the one chance, the one point in the game, we played around with it a bit, and then I think somebody played it square to John Swift on the edge of the box, and there was just kind of a massive opening for him to take his shot from about 19 yards out. And instead of just kind of having that conviction to just hit it when he had the chance, and we all know he can hit them from, from that kind of range, he took too long and then he played a pass to, I can't remember, it might have been Jed Wallace or, or Brandon out on the right wing instead. Um, and you'd think if that was if that was towards the end of last season when he was playing really well, then he would have hit that and it probably would have found the back of the net and we'd have had an equaliser. But yeah, there's a few things where he just didn't look didn't look particularly sharp, but I don't think he was the only substitute that came on that looked a bit like that. Well, go on. Who else are you? Who else are you talking about? Uh, let's uh, let, let's let's get it all out on the table, Pete. Because uh, I know we've chatted about this off air, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go name names on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought Sarmiento was um, he was a bit slow in his defensive work. Um, I thought when he got the ball, he drove with it well, and there was that one one run that he went on that. You know, he kind of rode about two or three challenges when I thought, yeah, he's definitely going to get brought down in a minute, but he managed to ride them and got us forward quickly. His decision-making at the end of it was probably not quite right. Um, I, there was one with that, Pete, where he could have slipped Brandon in, and it was a huge chance to slip Brandon in. He was right on the shoulder of the last defender. He wanted the ball, just slipped into that uh, into that channel to the to the left um, in the left side of the 18-yard box and he ignored him and he carried on and I couldn't believe it. Uh, I, I really like him. I, I find him exciting to watch, but he's got he's got to learn when to release the ball. Yeah, and if you compare him to, to Matt Phillips, then the defensive work is just a massive drop-off. Um, he was a bit naive, jumping into to challenges and then the Blackburn defender would just skip past him. Um, other times he was just a bit slow to, to get back into shape or to be part of the press um, but as I mean you mentioned it off air that Corbin had said that he wasn't ready yet so he should probably come a bit of slack for that but it looks like there's a fair bit to, to learn from on the defensive side but he was definitely exciting when he came on um, and you know it's, it's only his first 20 minutes in a West Bromwich Albion shirt so it's a, probably a bit early to, to make too many judgments on him. Um, Absolutely but would it be fair to say that until he until he improves in those aspects, that is what he will be a last 20 minutes player rather because Corbran doesn't trust players from the start that, that can't do both sides of it. Yeah. You compare it to, to, as I said, the, the work that Matt Phillips did and ability with when Alvin don't have the ball, even the goal that we scored, it came from, well, it was obviously a group effort. It was a, a very good press, but it was Matt Phillips nicking the ball off the Blackburn player just when it looked like they'd maybe evaded the press and then, showed his quality on the ball as well with the, the little one-two with Jed Wallace and, and then the finish. So, yeah, it's not going to be an easy position for Sarmiento to come in and nail down. Um, whilst Matt Phillips is fit, there's, there's a lot of competition there. We'll take a short break now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about that man, Matt Phillips. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back. As I said just before, I do want to talk about that, man, Matt Phillips, Pete, because we've talked about a lot of negatives so far on, on this pod. So I'm going to flip it a little bit and uh, we, uh, I'm going to spend a moment talking about a positive and probably what I felt was the biggest positive in our performance against against Blackburn. And that was Matt Phillips, who obviously spent the end of last season out injured. But before that was probably the most... I, I I would say prob- probably the most consistent player in Corbrand's early reign. And I thought against Blackburn, he absolutely picked up where he left off. I mean, just the data backs this up. Highest shot creating actions with four um, alongside Malumbi, who got the same. Um, highest shots on target with two. Highest number of shots, three with Wallace. You can never tell that much from the from, from the volume of shots because, I mean, we'll go on to talk about Jed Wallace in a minute, but um, it depends on whether it was the right decision to take the shot. Most cases with Matty Phillips, it was. He's obviously scored one. The other one that was on target was a, was a lovely little jink inside, which tested Ainsley Pears with our first shot of the game. So, whereas some of Jed Wallace's decisions were, um, well, one was particularly bad. To be fair, the other the other one should have been a penalty because it was blocked by the arm, but we'll come to that in a little bit. But also on the other side of the ball, he made the highest number of successful tackles as well, Pete. I mean, we've we've talked, how many times have we talked about this? Matt Phillips, when he is fit, when he is available, is a class above at times in this division. He's perfect for the way that Corbram wants him to play because he actually, I mean, normally it's just the left-sided player that he wants to be a bit narrower in Phillips. Actually, he played both Phillips and Wallace much narrower in this particular game. But Phillips is so good at being that inside winger, if that's even a position, if I've just invented something that never, or or, or just talk total rubbish is also the other possibility. But that that's... That's. I mean, I don't even describe it as an inside forward because because that would suggest that he's almost up in a Mo Salah-esque position. He's not that high a lot of the time, but he can get high. But he does so much work on the other side of the ball. He gets back, he supports his, his fullback. The big problem with Matt Phillips all the time is how long is he going to stay fit for? But I thought he was the single biggest positive that we had in, in that game. And, and I mean, look, Pete, you predicted him in our in our predictions in the tiebreaker to actually be fit for quite a lot of the season. I, however, predicted him to uh, to complete around 1090s. I really hope you're right. And I'm horribly wrong because he's so important to what we do. Yeah, and it's not only his fitness that's important, it's also his confidence because, I mean when he's not confident and he's off it, he just doesn't seem to impact the game. Thankfully, we've not seen that from him under Corbran. So maybe Corbran's just getting the best out of him, which long may it continue. Um, but yeah, he, he was brilliant going forwards. Um, he gets the ball out wide quite often. A lot of the time, wants to cut in on his right foot, but doesn't always and quite often finds 
or at least on Saturday, found a few nice passes to kind of Townsend, who was supporting him. Um, and I thought they worked well out there. But then the defensive side of his game is, is really important as well, both in pressing high, um, and he looks really fit at the minute to, to be able to do that. And as well, getting back into shape and kind of filling in that that seam between the, the fullback and the centre-back, because obviously their wingers were playing quite wide and our fullbacks were going with them. There'll be often be quite a big gap between Connor Townsend and Kipre, where Blackburn could potentially slide passes through, and Phillips kind of filled that gap quite nicely. Um, and that's obviously that uh, narrowness that you were talking about. And he was quick to get forward as well when we did try and break. Um, so it's yeah, there was a lot of positives there. He didn't didn't always beat his man or get the ball into the box, but he was very positive with it. Um, you can't expect a winger to to go past his man every single time, but yeah, he made the pitch wide as well and and got isolated against his fullback, which seemed to be something that Corbran wanted to do was to to move the ball into wide areas quickly when there wasn't too much Blackburn defensive support out there and, and our wingers could get one one v one against them. You mentioned Connor Townsend briefly there, Pete. Just just a quick word on him because I I, I know from not only from WhatsApp groups I'm in, but from people on Twitter that that, that there is something of a building opinion that I have I have uh, an an agenda where I I. I I love Connor Townsend like he like he's a son and uh, and would defend him to the uh, to the hilt. I think that's what some people think. I personally don't uh, don't see it like that. But then you don't always see these things if if you if if you actually are influenced. I I my take on it is that Connor had an appalling moment for the goal, but I actually think generally speaking he had a he had a decent enough game. Do you see it like that? Yeah, I mean, you probably get that from me because I'm a big fan of his and always seem to be talking him up and, and saying how good he is. But um, yeah, that was a, a poor moment from him. We've already discussed that he should have used his body better, should have been a bit smarter. But on the whole, I thought he had a, yeah, I thought he had a decent game. I've seen him have a lot better games. As you'd expect, He, I think he made the most progressive passes of, of all our defenders, which he almost seems to, he always seems to do. Um, his pass, pass accuracy wasn't as good as it usually is. Um, and... Well, I thought he did get forward quite well. He didn't make as many kind of inside runs that he did when he was getting forward. A lot of the time last season, we kind of saw him going into that seam that I was talking about between the fullback and the centre-back and then having a ball into that channel for, for cutbacks. Didn't really get in there as much as usual. But yeah, I think it was a definitely not the best game I've seen him have. But other than his mistake, um, I thought he did quite well. He made an important block as well in the, I think it was in the first half that, slid in and, and managed to, to block a shot that you'd have expected to well, oh, that was, that was that was a brilliant block Pete yeah that that was that was absolutely phenomenal that was going in the going in the back of the net wasn't it yeah I mean it, it certainly like it looked like it was going to give Palmer something to do so um you know you, you make a mistake but you you make a block like that and it's yeah it, it wasn't a terrible game um I'd struggled to well, I've not really looked on Twitter too much but I'd, I'd be a bit confused of people saying he was really poor that game yeah like I say not his best but but I've seen a lot worse performances you mentioned Alex Palmer there no chance for the first goal in my opinion the second one shouldn't be getting beaten at, at his at his near post and unfortunately for the second season in a row Pete it's a goalkeeper who has um at Blackburn uh, Blackburn away for a second season in a row. It's it, the goalkeeper. Our goalkeeper has let in fifty percent of his shots, which is something of a worry. 
and I think he should have stopped the second goal. Yeah, I think thankfully I can't actually remember what happened in the Blackburn away game last season. But if David Button was playing, it was it was David Button's. It was the start of the beginning of the end for David Button. Um, uh, Diaz and uh, and Gallagher both with shots from the edge of the box, it, which. Um, I, I I took some stick at the time for saying Button should have saved, and um, uh, in in a rare in a rare case of me uh, that was a rare case of me uh, sticking my neck on the line and being vindicated last season. Yeah, I think I remember it now, and I wish I couldn't. But um, yeah, the first one it was it was a very good finish that was right in the side net, wasn't it? But first one, uh, second one, even he probably should have done done better. It was hit with a lot of power, but. Yeah, keepers getting beat at the near post is, is never a good a good sight. Made a decent save in the first half. One from I think it was curling into the, the top right corner. Um well maybe not the top right corner, but the right of the goal. And Yeah, the one from Dolan. Yeah, I think so. He causes a few a few issues. I thought I thought he played really well. I yeah. really like him. I I mean I know we've got absolutely no money, but he, he he's one. I mean Preston will kick themselves for releasing him. And uh, I mean if we ever got back to a position of financial stability, he's the sort of player I'd love to see in an Albion shirt. He's so dynamic, isn't he? Yeah, and um, really really wanted to get past Furlong and get his shots off as well. And it was quite unpredictable as well with all the movement and. Kind of he was going both ways as well, which is something that I wish Sarmiento had done a bit more on Saturday. But again, it's too early to judge Sarmiento. Um, I thought Palmer's distribution was was quite good. Just the length that he was kicking the ball um, to get it to to Thomas Asante when he was isolated against the the Blackburn centre back was was really impressive and quite often with nice shapes kind of bend in from the from the sideline as well. Um, so I thought that was a good part of his game, but. You'd have hoped he would have uh, kept out that second goal. I mean, it's, I talked before about Jed Wallace and uh, and Matt Phillips being inverted. Now, obviously, that worked quite well with um, w- with Matt Phillips. With Jed Wallace, I felt it was something of a failed experiment. Pete, um, he was he was much narrower than he usually is. He had of the Albion players who completed ninety minutes. He had the equal least touches of the ball, equal with Alex Palmer, which is something of a worry. And you ju- I just don't think you can play a system where, which doesn't get Jed Wallace on the ball. Like he's, he's, he's shown over the last 12 months, he's one of our most important players. I thought he, uh, I thought he was, he had a poor game. I thought he, a bit similar to Swift, just didn't quite look ready for the start of the season, there was just a moment towards the end of the game where he got released down the right-hand side. And normally you see Jed Wallace just drive and drive. And yet he took what I consider to be the Carlin Grant out of checking. And then crazily, I mean, normally, even if Jed Wallace has to do that, he picks the right pass afterwards. But he just lazily took a shot when there was a player a yard away from him and he got and it got blocked. It was an odd performance from Jed. It's not. It, it's. I, I know some people are, again are building this narrative of oh Jed's been off it for 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 plenty of the back end of last season. Whilst Jed doesn't have great games every week, and he's probably had more bad games. Um, at the he had more bad games at the back end of last season than he did earlier on in the season. I think he's massively a net positive for us, but. I didn't understand his role against Blackburn and I didn't think it worked at all. And I think 
we effectively lifted Jed Wallace out of the team as a threat. And uh, to be honest, I th- I thought one of the mistakes that Corbran made was I thought he brought the wrong wide man off for Sarmiento. I would have rather, if he was going to bring Sarmiento on, and I understood why he wanted to, I thought Wallace was the one having the bad game and I would have left Phillips on. Yeah, I think, again, with Wallace, it was probably kind of moving inside a lot of the time to create space um, out wide into the channels, which I thought we did quite well. Um, and Brandon ran them well, but we just didn't have any result at the end of it. I think if you look at most of Brandon Thomas Sante's passes from the game against Blackburn, they were from that right wing area. Um, and then I think Mulumbi was kind of instructed to then fill the box and hopefully get Matt Phillips and probably Jed Wallace in there as well. But then obviously you lose out on on Jed being out on the touchline, out on the sideline and um, being effective from there. And, you know, his probably biggest strength is his ability to, to cross the ball, which, you know, we didn't see too much of. But again, maybe that's because of the personnel that we had on the pitch. It's not Brandon Thomas Sante's biggest strength to, to win headers in the box and nor is it Jason Malumbi's. So if we were playing with someone like Daryl DK, then maybe we would have tried something different. Um, but... Yeah, I think it was a case of opening up space for the other players by moving Jed Wallace about because you know that he's going to attract players to him and they're going to follow him, potentially open up this space for for the other Albion players. We didn't score from it, so you can maybe say it wasn't effective. And then you can, well, you can't really judge whether whether it, we would have been better off just not creating that space um, and Jed Wallace staying out wide. I think we might have looked a little bit static and have just been throwing balls into the box with no success. So I think it was all an idea and an experiment from Corbran. You can probably say it didn't pay off on the day, but, you know, if I think it was Brandon Thomas Sante from a similar situation, he put a ball into Jason Malumbi, just kind of between the centre-backs and the keeper. And Malumbi, instead of going towards the back post where he probably would have got there and just tapped it into the into the empty net, he went near post and, and didn't get onto the end of it. If he'd gone the right way and put it into the goal, then you might be able to say that the plan had worked. So, it's all really fine margins to to us to whether these experiment experiments work on the day or not. So it's I'm I'm glad that we are trying things different. Um, under Bruce, it was all very similar. Same thing every game. No experiments. Under Corbrani, he, he seems to be he's thinking about the games. Is he also trying to find a solution to the number nine problem, Pete? Because for me, it is a problem. Um, I, look, I really like Brandon. And again, looking at his data, I'm not going to say Brandon had a bad game against Blackburn. He's Some of his ball carrying was superb. Some of the ways he runs the channel is absolutely tremendous. But he's had one shot in 90 minutes. He's cr- had one shot creating action in 90 minutes. He's our nine. Like, he's he's the guy... He's got to be the guy. He's got to be the man who's getting us the goals. And he's just not a threat at the moment. Uh, that, and it's, it's, a real, it's a real concern because we saw bits of this as well at the end of last season after DK got injured. I put a lot of it down to, to burnout, but I don't know whether... I, I think I was probably wrong to do that at the back end of last season. I think, I think the reality is that you know, we've got to remember where Brandon has come from. This time last year, Brandon was playing League Two football for Salford. He was he was still some weeks away from making his move to the Albion. So he's not, and and he wasn't a regular nine. 
He was he he played a lot of football wide. Not only has he in the last twelve months had to make the step up to from League Two to Championship football, and I think he's made it exceptionally well. But he's also had to learn a position which was not his primary position for much of his career. And I think at the moment, what we're seeing from Brandon is that we're just asking a little bit too much of him to, as a young player, develop from League Two level to Championship level in such a short space of time, to develop from being a wide man to a number nine in such a short space of time, and lead the line as the only fit senior striker at this present time until Maja can get himself game fit for a championship club that despite its financial issues has huge expectations I just think we're asking so much of one so so young and so inexperienced Pete yeah but I don't think his goal scoring ability is too much of a question um I think if you look at the data from last season he had 0.5 0.5 non-penalty expected goals per 90. That's That was one of the, the very highest of all the strikers in the championship last season. So he was getting into really good areas. I think that Blackburn game was, he was just asked to do something else. Um, and I think what the way that he did what he was asked to do to run the channels and and to kind of have that energy and, and take players on 1v1 out wide, then I think he did that well. Um, I'll ask the same question for the third time though. Did it work? I mean, it was. In, it seems like it was another core brand experiment. Did it work? No, but it's it's always these fine margins. If Mullumbi made that right run, that right run and put the ball into the net and made it two two, then and then if he'd scored the other chance that he had, or if we'd been given the penalty for the handball, then you know probably won the game. And you say it did work. So it's. I think just because we didn't win, it doesn't necessarily mean that the the plan didn't work. Um, it's just a couple of things probably didn't go our way. That's fair. I mean, I mean that's and that's the other thing to to point out about this is that it's very easy to look at these things and say we got less goals than them, therefore uh, what Corbran did didn't work. But there is the Corbran for the life of him cannot plan for um, Kipre chipping a ball up in the air for Townsend to control and then Townsend being way too weak controlling it and getting his pocket picked and then immediately from the kickoff from that goal Kipre passing the ball straight to a Blackburn player to make it 2-0 I I don't really see it that doesn't that you can't factor that into the plan those those are the things that players need to eradicate do you almost take it as a bit of a positive that actually I mean it's hard to say we weren't pulled apart because Leonard has missed chance after chance towards the end of the game. But then, equally speaking, it's it, it's probably reasonable to say you have to take game state into into account there. And we're chasing the game in the in the last twenty minutes of the game, and that's why we're so open at the back. It, it, do you take it as a big positive that really it's only individual errors that have cost us this football match? In a way, I mean, I think it's an overall Blackburn the better side on the day and they deserve to win. I think the goals that they scored we gifted to them, but they could have scored other goals as well. So it's you know, it kind of evens itself out there. Um but we also had good a couple of good chances and probably should have had a penalty. And and equally, as I say, you could you could argue that those chances came late in the game and do those chances come if we haven't made the mistakes earlier on and put ourselves on the back foot? No, and the the only time that we really showed complete control over the game was for the first twenty minutes. After half time, 
and that's when we looked good and, and Blackburn weren't too much of a threat. I think for the rest of the game, it was either even or in Blackburn's favour. Um, so, yeah, I th- I, when you say it's only on we only lost on individual mistakes, that's could be an issue if we're going to play like that for the whole season because a lot of it was played kind of in individual battles, players playing 1v1 against each other and, and that's when you need to, to you know come out on top of your opposition player and not have the individual mistakes because when you play like that, if you do make an individual mistake, it's going to, it could definitely lead to a big chance. Um, if one of their centre-backs had made a little mistake when they were, you know, just kind of against Brandon Thomas Sante, then it would have led to a big chance for, Al- for Albion. Ultimately, they, they didn't. I mean, they almost did towards the end of the second half. I think they, they almost, I can't remember exactly what happened, but they almost slipped Brandon Thomas Sante in and I think he just didn't expect it and didn't get it under control. But yeah, when it's, a lot of the games played one v one. If you make an individual mistake, you're gonna, it's gonna lead to a chance. I suppose the other factor that we have to discuss, and you're quite. Uh, I'd, I'd like before I discuss this, I'd like to say you are quite right. Blackburn were the better side and deserved to win the game. And by talking about what we're about to talk about, i.e., the referee. I'm not disputing that for a second and I'm not blaming the referee for the result. The referee did not make uh, Townsend fail to shield that ball. He did not he didn't pick Kipre. He didn't make Kipre play that uh, play that awful pass. He didn't make Malumbi try to fake the defender when he should have just hit it first time and and stuck it in the back of the net for for 2-2 and he wasn't at, at fault for us lumping the ball forward aimlessly in the last in the last 20 minutes. So but but that having been said, goals change games. And now there were three shouts for uh, for a penalty in in that game. One was very early on at nil uh, nil, um, where Thomas Asante goes down. For me, no chance. Not in a million years is that is that a penalty. If you're going to give those, we might as well give up on football as a contact sport. That's that's just not it's not a penalty. And even the appeal from uh, from Thomas Asante was half-hearted. The one on Wallace, I think the referee has just about got it right. However, that does not mean I'm not annoyed because. I honestly think in that scenario, I think we will get that exact penalty given against us this season, because I think the vast majority of the time when the forward player gets his body between the defender and the ball and the defender clumsily is around the back of his feet and the forward goes down. I think most referees, particularly in the championship where let's be honest, the refereeing is not good. I think most referees are fooled by that and get uh, and give it. Do I think it was a penalty? No. But do I think we will see that exact scenario against us and the penalty given? Yes. And I think probably if you played out that scenario 10 times, I think probably seven or eight referees give that penalty. So whilst I don't think it was a penalty, I'm frustrated that it wasn't given. The handball is so obvious. And it's not even comparable to the one with Furlong at the other end, by the way. Furlong's arms are right by his side. There is no, he's not making his body any bigger. There's nothing he can do bar chopping his arms off to stop them that, that ball hitting his arm. The Blackburn one is completely different. He has his arm almost at a triangle and it hits the point of his elbow. He has enlarged his body and he has stopped a goal by using his arm 
and the referee is no distance away. And Pete, for the for the life of me, I can't understand how he's not given it. Now, as I say, did Blackburn deserve to win the game? Yes. Were they the better side throughout? Yes. But to the same extent, do goals completely change games? And if that penalty is given and we slot it away, two fairly big ifs, I grant you, is it a completely different game? Quite possibly. Yeah, exactly. Um, pretty much agree with you on all of that. Brandon Thompson-Sante, that was never a penalty. That was just a, a 50-50, you know. I think the Blackburn defender was stronger. Jed's one could have been, but probably went down a little bit easily and was looking for it. And then the handball was just, I think, a lot of season, they, a lot of last season they discussed the issue being making you, like the silhouette of your body bigger, which um, the Blackburn defender was definitely doing by having his arm arm like that. You know, he faced it upside on and then and stuck his arm out, his elbow out a bit, and, and that's where it hit him. If he'd kind of just faced it straight on it, it would have probably just hit him in the chest and it wouldn't have been an issue. But when you block it with your arm, then I struggle to see how it can't be given as, as a handball. And it might change the game. I mean, you can only assume we'd put the penalty away and, and then you never know what's going to happen after that. But yeah, I mean, obviously we think that should have been a penalty. But I thought on the whole, the refereeing performance wasn't, wasn't too bad. Um, we've seen a lot, a lot worse than that in our time in the championship. So we have, but I would also say, I mean, first of all, Pete, not giving a blatant penalty is a pretty big factor in a game because, as I say, you know, in a in a in a low-scoring sport like football, and a penalty being a goal seven times out of ten, that is, you know, that's a that that's a that's a big negative. You know, it's. But but the other side of that coin is there's this whole new thing around adding more time on for time wasting. We uh, we had um, uh, I think it was um, six or seven minutes at the end of the first half and we had nine minutes at the end of the second. I'm all for this. Now, I've said for a long time, I go to football to watch 90 minutes of football, not not uh, 50 minutes of football and 40 minutes of time wasting. However, it only works if the referees are strong enough to either A, add additional time wasting on at the end of the time that's added on if time wasting continues, or to clamp down on it and try and stop the time wasting. There was an incident towards the end of the game where Ranking Costello knows that he is being brought off. So he just sits on the floor. And he sits on the floor and he starts signalling to the trainers to come on because he knows he's going to be substituted anyway. So the, the 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 concern of being made to leave the field isn't a problem because there's going to be a replacement brought on for him anyway. The referee just was completely weak to that. Let that happen. And I believe that was the moment at which Corbran completely lost his head and got sent off. And I, I, yeah, I, I mean, Corbran for me, it, it's impossible to know what was said on the touchline, so it's hard to know whether he's in the right or in the wrong. But I can understand why he's frustrated, Pete. I mean, you know, he's seen the one with Wallace. He only gets one look at it. It looks a penalty. As I say, for me, seven out of ten referees give that. He's then seen the one from uh, from Wallace's shot where it's hit the, hit the lad's elbow, 100% a penalty. And then he's seeing Blackburn get away with just blatant gamesmanship and I can understand why he's lost his cool a bit yeah I think what they're saying now is that they're going to stop the clock for for incidents like that and that's where the the 
you know, the nine minutes of added time comes from. But it seemed to be that in in the actual um, added time that the clock wasn't stopped. And I mean, that's another thing that they've changed is that you can actually see how many minutes are being played into added time on the on the clock inside the the ground. So you can you can see when it gets to the 99th minute, and the referee seemed to blow exactly when it got to that to that, rather than having stopped the clock in the added time for the any time wasting that was going on there, which seemed a little bit strange. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think I read when I was reading the, about the changes is that there is something about players receiving treatment on the field, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, so I probably need to look into that. But yeah, the I mean, players know what they're doing when they, they're going down, when they they know they're going off, and you just they're just trying to kill time. So... I guess you can only hope. But that the... surely referees know what they're doing as well, and they've got to find a way to cope with it. Yeah, and I think that's where they say that they're, they're now stopping the clock for incidents like that, and then that's when the where that large amount of added time comes from. Which, if they are doing, then that's fair enough, and players all well, they might start to realise. I mean, it depends. Yeah, it really depends if they're. But the but, but my it. but my problem here, Pete. Sorry to jump in, but my problem here is that whilst adding the time on is fine, if you don't actually address the time wasting on the pitch, teams know what they're doing and when they're time wasting. They're breaking the momentum of the game at important times. And what Blackburn were very, very good at after Malumbi had missed that absolute sitter and we'd we'd not been given the penalty at 2-1, they knew that game was running away from them. Uh, To be honest, to me, stood behind the goal... I thought it was inevitable that we were going to equalise at some point. So what Blackburn have started doing is they've just started throwing some gamesmanship in there to break the momentum of the game, to stop the game for 30, 60 seconds. And it just kills teams' momentum. For me, it's not enough to just add the, the time on at the end. You've got to actually address the time wasting and stop it because they're still gaining an advantage from it. We... It's when we're in the we're in the ascendancy at that point. Blackburn break that momentum by time wasting, having though that minute again in uh, at the end of the game is not as advantageous to us because when we haven't got the same momentum at that point in the game, and it's really hard to to pick that rhythm and momentum back up. Yeah, the the momentum side of it is you know that's a, that's a separate issue to the pure time because just adding the time on at the end you know it doesn't doesn't stop teams from breaking that momentum um and yeah like you say it's something that they were trying to do i mean it's something that we'll try and do at points in the season so it's not it's not a blackburn issue every side will do it until the rules are changed to stop it from happening because it does give you an advantage if if teams are coming on you and you know you're under a lot of pressure and the fans are getting behind them and and kind of pulling the ball into towards the net and if you can just kind of stop that momentum and kill the game for a couple of minutes. It kills the fans' um, energy a little bit. It kills the players, kills the players' energy and momentum. And it'll probably just help you out that little bit that you need. Um, so yeah, something does need to be done about that. I guess the rule change about the added time is positive, but it doesn't solve that issue as well. Just while we're on the subject of rule changes, obviously, as I as I mentioned, Corbran was shown the red card. What do you make of the rule change that he then can't speak to any of the press, not even his own club website? He can't make any post-match comments if he's been dismissed from from the touchline. Um, Jed Wallace had to step in and do all the press after the game where the manager normally would have. I find that ludicrous. I don't get it. I mean, 
I under I understand that you know they might not want him saying about why he was why he was dismissed from the touchline. But look, if he says anything that's out of order, he'll get slapped with an FA charge. We we know how that works. I don't. I I just think I think it's a massive overprotection of referees because, as I say, I'm not justifying what Carlos said on the touchline because I don't know what he said. He might have been bang out of order, but what I will say is he had some level of right to be um uh, to be annoyed. I mean, if Carlos is going to be punished to that degree for 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 reacting to bad decisions. Where's the referee's punishment for making the bad decisions? I think it, I just think it's ludicrous, and it's just it's going down. Uh, I, I I just think we've got to a point now where referees are so ridiculously overprotected. You can't say anything about them anymore. You can say whatever you like about players and managers, but it's just a completely different rule for referees. They don't come out and speak. They don't ever explain their decisions. They're just totally not accountable and it's it's not acceptable yeah i think i mean in a way it's it's probably positive for lower stages of the game because i know that you know in grassroots football yeah sorry can i say because i i got i got a lot of criticism for saying something similar to this last season i i'm talking about the top top level of the game where referees are highly paid professionals i am not talking about the low, the lower reaches of uh, of the game, and I am not for one second saying that Corbran abusing officials on the touchline is acceptable. I'm just saying that gagging him and and stopping him from speaking doesn't make any sense to me. And I also think that we've got. I I just think it would be better if referees could speak. But I I am massively talking about the top top echelons of the game. I am not I'm not talking about further further down the game because I fully appreciate that further down the game at particularly at grassroots level referees do the job largely out of the goodness of their heart and get untold abuse that they do not deserve and I have a heck of a lot of sympathy for them in that situation. I'm talking about the highly paid pros in the PGMOL at the top end in largely in the top two divisions uh, of uh, of English football. Yeah, and I think it's is whether this is the reason for the the rule. I don't know, but one positive impact is that I think coaches lower down and at grassroots level do see what you know the the top coaches in the game do on television, and like kids want to be like their favorite play like their favorite players. I think a lot of coaches at that level I've seen want to. Act like they see coaches act on TV, and it's obviously out of order, um, especially then, at that level. But, but then, all I would say is stopping Carlos from uh, speaking after the game actually robs him of the opportunity to apologise. Yeah, but um, I guess it's more—it's just to give him more of a reason to, or not him specifically, but every manager to not like on the touchline rather than just having the fine, which they may seem as. I, it's it's not really too big of an issue if if they have that bring in the the fact that they can't speak to the press after the game then it might be more incentive to to kind of cool down on the the touchline a little bit more and not oh I not don't know about that off. mate I've, I I think I work with uh, I work with seven managers at the Albion something like that uh, maybe maybe less than that including caretakers um, 
I don't, I don't many don't don't know many of them who genuinely wanted to speak to the press. It, sound, it feels like a reward more than a punishment. Oh, fair enough. We might see Carlos doing it every game then, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I kind of see see the benefits of it not having the negative in the well the um, the reactions of coaches on the touchline, not having that kind of impact on on coaches that just kind of want to replicate what they're like lower down in the game. I think that's a benefit. Obviously, fans want to hear what Corbran's got to say after the game, and in that respect, it does seem a bit over the top that he can't speak after the game because he's been sent off. Um, it punishes the fans more than the manager, doesn't it? Yeah, but then does that then put pressure on Carlos to not do it because the fans want to hear from him? I don't know, probably not. But it's yeah, it does seem a bit of a strange one. Um, I don't know whether he's been able to come out and say anything today or or what the limit on um, his silence. Is does he? Is it just for the the day of the game after he's been sent off, or is it is it for a few days? I don't know because you'd day of the fixture, to... day of the fixture. Um, is because I've, I've uh, Joe Chapman very kindly put the screenshot of the of the regulation. Um, so it is it is the day of the it is the day of the the fixture. I don't know whether he can he can talk about what happened later on. Um, I. It doesn't seem to be anything in there that prevents him from from talking about it at a later date, which which also seems a bit crazy. Yeah, because then you might have expected him to to come out with something this morning, but um, maybe it'll just be when he does his next his next presser. Um, well, we're, yeah, we're playing Tuesday, so he's going to do one tomorrow anyway, isn't he? Yes, yeah, so I guess we'll we'll hear about it then. But um, yeah, it's not something you, you're going to want to see happen regularly because. I think I and most other fans would have been interested to see what he had to say about the game yesterday, especially with it being the first game of the season and there obviously being the big mistake in there. Um, it seems like yeah we've missed out more than anything else. Lastly, Pete, just to just to finish off, um, I, I just want to talk about the bigger picture uh, regarding our away form. Um, now, very kindly sent this by 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 somebody else. Um, that since Burnley, our away form. So since since losing to Burnley in January, our away form reads: played eleven, won two, drew one, lost eight, seven points from a possible thirty three goals scored, eleven goals against twenty two. I appreciate that during that period that was also coincided with a lot of injuries at the end of last season. But it it's also fair to say that the home form didn't suffer anywhere near as heavily as the away form did during that period of injuries. Do we have a problem away? Well, it seems to look like it. And I think we discussed it last season as well, that we were really struggling away from home. I think it was during the run of games where we were unbeaten at the Hawthorns for like something like 10 games or something. But yeah, it's, it's a strange one because I just I don't know what it could be. Is it just a mental factor? Um, I mean, yesterday we we've said it probably about a hundred times already today, but we gave away well, we definitely gave away one goal. You could probably say we gave away two goals. So, is it just the mental aspect of playing away from home and having not having the the ground full of Albion fans, but full of um, opposition fans instead? Um, do the players know about the record and it just kind of plays on their minds that we can't seem to to get a win away from home. Is it is it Corbran to a degree, Pete? Because he does seem to experiment a lot more away from home than he does at home. Maybe, but then, you know, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did the experiments come first because we're struggling away from home or was it the other way around? So it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I really can't put my finger on it. Um, 
maybe we do approach games differently away from home and it just it doesn't work as well. Um, I don't think we played particularly negative yesterday as if we were playing for a draw or anything. I think we set up as we probably would have done if we were playing Blackburn at home. So, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. know do you think he would have left John Swift out at home at the Hawthorns? I'm, I'm not sure he would. I don't know. The the way that he played when he came on, he didn't look very sharp. I don't know if that's... He just struggled to get into the game with only 20 minutes to go. But if he was, if his performance was like it was going to be... If he played the full game and his performance was going to be at the same level as, as those 20 minutes, then you can definitely see why Swift was left out. Um, fair point, fair point. But, you know, you can't really say maybe he already got into the game more if he played four minutes um, than if we'd been at home. So... Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that it is cold run. It's it's not as predictable as maybe Steve Bruce would have been. So you don't know whether it, it was for the reason of, of him wanting maybe more defensive solidity and for an away fixture than if we were playing at home. But, I mean, it'll be, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of away games how we perform. I think, you know, the, the next three or four away games will be really telling whether there is an actual issue away from home or if it's just... Maybe we've been because it's a new season as well. He's had a full pre-season to work with the players. If there were particular issues away from home from last season, you'd hope that you'd work on them in pre-season to to iron them out and not have the same issues. So that's where I think we'll be able to tell if if we've still got the same issues in the next three or four away games. At least he's got a nice easy one though. Only got to go to Leeds uh, for his next away game, Pete. So you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's good to have it's good to have a gimme when your away form's uh, bad like that. Not 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 a relegated club who's who's got a load of Premier League players and uh, and and probably will make quite a few decent signings before then either. Um, but before then, uh, there are a couple of games before we go to Leeds. We've got uh, we've got Stoke in midweek in the League Cup, and we've also then got Swansea at the Hawthorns after that uh, in in the championship we will be back after the Swansea game um, we're not going to jump on and do a pod about the League Cup game from what I'm led to believe it's going to be a very very changed uh, side and let, let's let, let's be fair uh, our success and failure this season is not built on how uh, in, on how we do in the uh, in the EFL Cup so uh, we're not going to um, we're not going to worry too much uh, about that unless there's you know maybe there'll be something big that we end up talking about in the post Swansea pod so we will be back after the Swansea game unless unless of course the Albion go and pull one out the bag and give us a big transfer to talk about before uh, now and then if that happens then i'm sure pete and i will find the time in uh pete's busy schedule mine slightly middling schedule as a as, as a university lecturer in in august uh, <laughs> where, where my schedule is slightly less so um uh, to talk about any new signing but for, as things stand we will be back after the swansea game so please join us then but until then thanks for listening and up the baggies Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.